0: You're listening to the Ram Report, a podcast about all things BCU basketball, brought to you by WVCW Radio and the Commonwealth Times, and in partnership with the ESPN Richmond Radio. The Ram Report is hosted by Ben Malakoff and Noah Fleischman. Now, here are your hosts, Ben and Noah.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of the Ram Report. I'm Noah Fleshman alongside Ben Malikoff. And on this episode, it's a jam-packed one. We're going to recap JMU. We've got an interview with VCU Director of Operations, Jimmy Martelli. And we're going to talk about preview St. Joseph's, the kickoff of the Atlantic 10 season. So, Ben, welcome. To, it's great to be back. And, you know, let's get this thing going.
0: Yeah, no, it is great to be back, and it's always good once we're talking about a VCU victory, especially against an old CAA rival like JMU, and man, that was so much closer of a game than both of us expected, right? I mean, when we were talking before the game, we were predicting that the score would be at least 15 to 20 point margin of victory, and it ended up as just a one point victory for this VCU team. I was pretty surprised at the end of that, weren't you?
1: Yeah, VCU, a team that entered the game at the end. It closed at, I think, 19 points being favored by in Vegas, those of you that like to bet on sports. But VCU, they won 82-81. to 81. Vince Williams was the thing that got the job done for VCU, hitting a step back that put him up by five. Ended up, that's all they needed to win. Ace Baldwin, I guess, the biggest bright spot of the game, even though it was a win, kind of felt like a loss in the second half, getting outscored 50-35 to 35 or 36, what it came out to being. But Ace Ball with 10 assists, he's now 14th in the nation. An overall assist, and that's first among freshmen. So, I mean, the freshman from Baltimore definitely knows how to dish it. He has some crazy look passes. He's found Bones a couple of times. I mean, Ace is definitely the guy out there that, you know, got the job done.
0: VCU is so lucky to have a freshman on this team that has developed connection with the other players who he hasn't played with yet before so quickly. And I'm not just talking about his connection with Bones Highland. Uh, I'm also talking about the connection he has with Hassan Ward or Vince Williams or even Corey Douglas as well, where he can just seem seemingly find them on the court at any time and dish out a perfect pass to them. As a freshman, it, it seems almost impossible to, to to replica that across like any other player in the nation. Uh, you know, Ace Baldwin has an incredible talent. One thing that this game came down to, though, that VCU got particularly lucky in is use free throw shooting. We saw two sides of a very young JamU team in this game. And it was um side A where they came in very sloppy. They only shot 55% from the line in the whole game and that and that's where VCU got lucky obviously only winning by one point. If you know, JMU hits any more free throws in this game, it's a whole different story. But they shot 15 for 27 at the line, and then we saw the better uh, end of JMU coming into that second half when they started on that 9-0 run and they started to catch up. So two sides of JMU. VCU was lucky to hold this obviously uh, improving team and, and bright future for this team. They were luckily lucky to hold this team back. But uh, two sides to JMU team, and I think VCU got a little bit lucky at the end there that the younger side showed with, um, you know, lack, not that great a free throw shooting from the Dukes.
1: Yeah, VCU, a team that normally when they get a big lead, they kind of let off the gas. Earlier this season, they weren't. They were going right back in the second half, letting on, just keeping the foot on the pedal, and that's exactly what Coach Rose wanted. And against JMU, it was the first time we really saw them let off the gas, kind of, not hit some take some shots that they may have not shouldn't have taken maybe just go inside instead forcing some threes jacking threes up I mean coach Rhodes and them were saying this for the first time that you know they came out really slow in half and that's definitely what hurt them Jamie took advantage of that they I think it was like a 10-0 run between the first and second half like the last part the last minute of the first half and the first minute and a half of the second half so I mean That's really what gave JMU that big spark. Their bench started getting into it, and that's really what it felt like. It felt like we're in Harrisonburg. I mean, there's not that many fans in the arena, so a lot of JMU, their bench was really getting them hyped up. But, I mean, as you said, JMU, 15 of 27 for the free throw line. At one point, they missed five free throws in a row. Um, So they went on this long scoreless streak over a 10-minute span, or I think over a nine-minute span, where they missed six field goals and five free throws in a row.
0: I mean, everyone knows that you can't win a big division one game is by missing your free throws. And in the end, that's what lost JMU this game. VCU did fall apart a little bit on the offense and the defensive end in the second half. But the free throw shooting, unfortunately for JMU, cursed them long enough where it was impossible for them to complete the comeback, even though they were they lost the game down or just by one point. One thing that Coach Rhodes said that really stuck out to me was that he was almost, you know, happy that VCU had a game like this in the season because their last few games at home have been blowouts. Their last few games have been, you know, t- teams where they knew that they knew they could beat coming into the game and they beat them by large margins of victory, 20 plus points. Now you play a team like JMU where you think you're going to beat them by that by that amount and it turns out you can only beat them by one point. So it's a bit of a reality check for a VCU who's a you know relatively young team. And I think Coach Rhodes uh, enjoyed having that reality check this early on in the season because it's better to, for something like that to happen now than later on in conference play when you're playing experienced teams like Richmond.
1: Yeah, the league is full of experienced teams. Speaking of Richmond, that day against DMU. On that Tuesday night was a, uh, let's just say, a positive showing for the CIA against say Atlantic 10 as they took down Hofstra, beat Richmond at Richmond. So they beat them right. by five or six, I think, and then JMU almost took the upset. So that would have been a positive showing for the CIA on that Tuesday. But I mean, one thing we saw in that game against JMU, Ben, Keyshawn Curry came back from injury after missing five games with the shoulder. He scored 13 off the bench, including 11 of those in the second half. He got in some early foul trouble. Second half came out there and just said, yo, give me the ball. He's athletic. He gets himself to the rim, and that's exactly what he showed there.
0: Right. It's such a luxury having Keyshawn Curry back. He started the first two games for VCU. And like uh, Jimmy Martelli is going to note in the interview that we had with him, um, the luxury about it is that Vince and uh, Keyshawn, are so good complement each other. It's almost a question mark of who should have that starting line or who should have that starting spot in the lineup. Right now it's Vince because of how well he's been playing. We saw that step-back jumper that was absolutely insane to seal the victory for VCU. I mean, it was an incredible shot and something I never thought the game would have to come down to, but it did, and Vince was incredibly clutch and won the game there for VCU. But Martelli, in the interview, he said it best. I mean, uh, these guys um, are playing so well that it's, it's so hard to decide who is going to be the guy who's going to be the guy coming off the bench. It's like a six starter almost.
1: Yeah, it's a good positive thing to have. I mean, Jimmy Martelli, well, we'll get to that in a second. He also talked about having to prepare for 12 guys a night when you're playing VCU. But Vince has stepped through that stunning role. He'll probably maintain that stunning role. Maybe if Rhodes wants to switch it up and put in another guard instead of another forward will put Keyshawn back in. I mean, Keyshawn coming off injury, scoring 13 points. He had a nice wrap on his shoulder. Kind of looked cool, and I don't know. Never seen something like that before, but you know. It's kind of cool-looking wrap. But he scored 13, showed that he's back to being Keyshawn Curry again. And he is definitely a force that once he, once Keyshawn gets going, it's it's game over. And, I mean, this is definitely a VCU team that once everyone's clicking all cylinders, this is going to be a dangerous young team that can just play confident and play loose. This is exactly what Coach Rhodes wants. But – Before we talk about St. Joseph's, we chatted with Jimmy Martelli a couple days ago. He's going to talk about scheduling JMU. He's going to talk a little bit about South Dakota. And then he jumps into other things like his biggest surprise of the season, the depth of VCU, and more. So let's take a listen to that. So we're joined here by VCU Basketball Director of Operations, Jimmy Martelli. Jimmy, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate
2: it. Thanks, guys, for having me on.
1: Jimmy, for those of the people that I might not Know What's your role, I guess, in the whole scheduling process uh, year to year with basketball? Could you just take them through that a little bit of just what you normally do on a normal year and then what you've done, I guess, coming up this year?
2: Yeah, uh, two, two certainly different uh, different jobs almost. In a normal year, we would try to put our schedule together uh, really by, by mid-summer. We would try to have that situated and completed You go into a year, you know, the MTE is kind of the thing that's done the furthest out. So we are scheduled out to like 2024 and, and even in discussions beyond that already with the MTE. And then, you know, that you have ODU year in and year out, you know, if you have a return game, for instance, next year with Penn state coming here, you know, that that's already on schedule. We don't have a date, but you know, it's already on the schedule. So you kind of just work your way down the list of 13 games that you're going to get and, how many games we want in the Siegel center and, 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 things of that nature. You know, um, this year we're supposed to have that mountain West challenge deal and, and all those kind of things. So you, you try to balance it out and we want, we want the best competition we can find. You know, we, we certainly uh, seek that out and, and try to do our best scheduling wise for, for each team that we have. Um, so you, you, you get it together and then you, you put it to bed really in the summertime and you don't think about it again. I mean, I think about it night to night when we're playing those games. But beyond that, there's, no, there's, there's never been a chance of it getting canceled or changed. Maybe snow might postpone or whatever. But honestly, I've never dealt with in, in – I think I've been coaching now, I forget, 10 years now maybe. It's never, ever, ever have happened outside of a weather issue. And that usually just pushes it a day. And then this year was um, obviously very unique. You know, I'd have to go back. I had a schedule on my desk the other day and it still had Tennessee and Charlotte on it. And I laughed and I just crumpled it up and threw it out. Like, I'm not sure why I even have this. So this year, obviously quite unique in all the challenges and um, yeah, we're certainly blessed and, and beyond lucky. I have no idea. I mean, if, if you know, somebody had asked me preseason how many games non-conference did I think we'd get in I probably would have said six you know I I didn't think there was very much of a chance for us to get to nine and and yet here we are sitting at seven and two with what what we thought was really a, a good schedule and each game has its own story you know Penn State we had tried to play them we were supposed to be in an MTE with them then they were supposed to try to come to Tennessee and the testing protocol and honestly luckily they had an opening and we wanted another good game and a home went home and, and we got that done. And obviously the JMU one came together quickly. The South Dakota thing has been told multiple times that that came together literally in the blink of an eye. So just a little crazy um, this year. And and moving forward, still really honestly ready. you're sitting right next to me as a scheduling directory with everybody, uh, every school's scheduling director, whoever that is, an assistant coach and administrator and ops guy and, um, if we lose a lead game, you know, we, we, we'll be looking, you know, we want to play the maximum number of games. So whether that's replace it with another league game or, or being creative, we're going to try to do everything we can to, you know, these, these guys, obviously, I think you guys know, love to play and want to play and compete. So we're going to give them every opportunity.
1: Yeah. What's it like, I guess, trying to, you've, you've done it twice now you're trying to, I guess, change the game on the fly and try to schedule that. So what's that like for you, I guess, just, is it getting on the phone just right away and just trying to get, find a new opponent?
2: Um, it's, it's really the pre-work, honestly, that, that is the most important. So I would say, and I I don't know the exact time. I would say about Thursday, I started getting concerned about LSU and then it got pushed to the 23rd and then maybe the 24th, but there was a lot of like, maybe him Hall, this, that, the other thing. And so, you know, really kind of, research teams and said, okay, I I pulled up Ken Palm and said, okay, who hasn't played that many games? Who, who, you know, and and it's a little deceiving because some leagues have 20 league games and 18 and whatever, but you could see certain teams have played three games. I said, well, they definitely need a game. So I kind of just started circling them, had a sheet next to me ready to go and then had different options. You know, we, we tried to get a high major game. We really tried. Um, There are three schools I won't mention them, but there were three schools that I think probably have seen us play and didn't want to play us. If this was two months ago and they looked at the roster with seven new guys or whatever the number is, they might have been interested. And now they were a little bit hesitant and and we didn't want to get left, you know, not having a game. So, um, you know, teams that could bust here, teams that, you know, were in state, we we had all those kind of things ready to go. And uh, as soon as I got the call late Saturday night, that it was kind of officially not going to happen. Then, then we moved forward quickly, and and um, there were three teams on the three kind of teams that were left on our list, and and we worked uh, closely with JMU. But I had talked to to Keith when the games got canceled here. They were supposed to play those games December twelfth and thirteenth here or whatever that was. You know, we had talked. I said, hey, if you if you end up losing one, you know. We may need one or, or let's keep talking. And there were other schools just like that, that we had kind of constant communication preparing for the unknown. And, and uh, like I said, it just kind of came together uh,
0: Saturday into Sunday. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was if schools are becoming more lenient in making their schedule because of how hard it might define these games. And it might be different for you guys now, because like you said, it's so crazy that we've played nine non-conference schedule games so far compared to what some other schools have only played like one or two games this whole season. Do you think other schools are um, looking at VCU now and saying it's harder or we don't want to play them because of the amount of games they've played? Or in contrast, you know, are they being more lenient just because they need games?
2: Yeah, it's it's hard to tell. Everybody's in a different situation, you know. So you have teams, and I'll just use the Big Ten. They think that if they have twenty conference games, they could they could just play those twenty and be fine. Like it, and, and I don't know. I'm predicting the future. If a team goes ten and ten in the Big Ten, and that's all they played, what's the NCAA committee going to say compared to a? 20 and 17 in the a 10, like, what? how are they going to balance that when everyone may have played different games? I do think that people may be looking at the Siegel center with 250 people and being maybe a little bit more. I thought, I thought at least maybe a little bit more willing to come here than, than with the 7,600. So, um, you know, there's, there's, it's just different, you know, um, some, some teams can play and travel. Other teams can't, honestly, every school that we spoke to, Um, And even in this last go around with with ending up with JMU, I probably spoke to 12 to 15 schools, even on Sunday. I got a phone call on Sunday from Loyola Marymount. I'm like, are you you serious? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, I'm like, we're in Richmond, Virginia. You're not coming from L.A. out here. So (laughs) it was just, you know, certain people want to play games. Other guys are "Ah, we played seven of the nine available. We're good. We're five and two. Let's just call it a day. And then with the holiday, it became difficult because certain teams, whether they're on uh, break or giving their kids off, you know, then you have quarantine issues and COVID issues, and there's testing involved. You know, um, you know, our testing scenarios at the Big Ten playing at Penn State were different than anywhere else we've been. The Sandy, uh, South Dakota. I wish it was San Diego. The South Dakota situation was way different than than our home games. So it's every game, even when we go to Philadelphia, uh, they have different protocols for testing. So th- there's just so many variables right now. And um, it's hard to, hard to say that, that it's easier or, or, or different. I think everyone's, the best thing about it now in terms of scheduling is there's no time for, for the nonsense. Like I said, in normal years, it'd be over the summer. It'd be over kind of the course of four, four five, six months that we put a schedule together. There's enough time for people to string it along oh, yeah, we're really interested. And by the end of the day, oh, send the contract. We, I, I don't know how many send the contracts I've had and never gotten them back And uh, for whatever reason. And, and uh, this year, it's yes or no. Like, we need to know. You know, hey, it's tomorrow at 10 a.m. We need to know. We, we, we have to go get another game. And um, so I think that actually has, to me, is, has made the process a little bit easier because it's, it's more more black and white than anything else.
0: Yeah, that's the one thing that I found that was so interesting about it was because when we talked originally about that Penn State game, you just said that it was kind of like, hey, we got a spot open, you got a spot open, let's play. And that's just kind of what has been the norm now. And the same thing that happened with JME, right? You know, you and coach just got on the phone and with their coach and, and it just all kind of came together as, as quickly as possible to, to make it happen.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's like I said, if you can't, we need to go get another one. It's, it's not like, all right, this is the right team at the right time. Okay. You have that date, but it's um, May 2nd, you know, there's no real uh, hurry for them to, to, to get it done. Sometimes there is, sometimes it is easy. Um, but it's this year, those two games in particular, again, where they may have taken months or weeks or whatever to, to kind of get done and finalize and iron out, it was get on the phone. I think that contract was turned around, I want to say, maybe in 15 to 17 minutes. And wow. that's that's not normal. Like even, even the contract piece, if I send a contract to school X, it, it could take days or a week okay, this person has to sign it, this person has to sign it, they send it to this person, then they send it back to us. We have to get four signatures. Um, it's been, you know, like I said, it was literally like, hey, I can get this right back to you. And, and they did.
1: You talked about, I guess, the different uh, testing protocols that each location has, depending on where you're going, whether it was South Dakota or Philadelphia or at home. So I guess, what do you, what can you tell us just about, like when a, a visiting team comes to, to Richmond, like what do they have to do I guess, what is the VCU, like, requirement for them to, to test out?
2: Yeah, our requirement is the A-10 requirement. We fall underneath that. So, um, it's just three times a week. Um, you know, you have to test three times a week. You get results three times a week um, for the NCAA, and, and it's, honestly, that's it. We, we have the ability to do some more things with the hospital and some great connections, obviously, with VCU Health and, and all the testing that they've been able to help us with. But, um yeah right now it's just testing um the three times a week and then there's some forms that they fill out you know that everyone's negative and that they're following all the right protocols and guidelines and suggestions of health and safety and those
0: kind of things are you personally surprised with the success so far of how you know limited or like no negative tests so far during the season for VCU, at least and the success of other programs specifically, but I, or specifically for VCU are surprised with the success that you guys have seen so far in the testing.
2: Uh, Knock on wood or, or I don't know if they still do rabbits, foots or whatever you do. Yes and no. I mean, yes, because the, the rates and the percentages in the country would, would lead you to believe that something else would happen. Um, But at the same time, our guys have have bought in since, you know, around June 5th, you know, and uh, it's really a credit to them and to our docs and and, uh, to our administration that they we put a plan in place. You know, we modeled it off Major League Baseball and the NBA and WNBA and uh, MLS and we put that plan in place and guys have have followed it, you know, and um, yeah. I don't know if there's luck involved or not. I don't know if it's, you know, I I certainly think that the city of Richmond has done a good job and um, you know, I think we were the second state or whatever, shut down schools and things like that nature. So I think being proactive from the government side was, was a great thing. And, and, you know um, you know, obviously Fordham in New York city, they haven't played a game, you know, is that a product of their basketball program not following or is it just a product of their, uh environment and community having such a large um rate of COVID you know so uh but certainly all the credit goes to our guys you know for for doing what they're supposed to do and doing what they need to do to, to get to nine I mean to get to nine I, I don't know you guys know better than I do if there's anybody that's played more than nine but but I certainly know we're in the top probably 20 of, of anybody that's played
1: yeah, and then looking back at that first nine games for you, just as an observation, just being a coach or whatever, what is, I guess, the biggest takeaway you've taken from these first nine games heading into league play next week?
2: Um, Honestly, I was trying to take a deep breath today and not think about anything. Um, I, I, I think that um, – it's more of a confirmation of, of something that we thought. And, and that's, you know, something that coaches uh, hung his hat on since we got here is our depth. You know, our first year, our depth wasn't good. It wasn't good enough. I mean, Justin Tillman was a fantastic player and, you know, I love Johnny Williams death, but we, our depth was not where it needed to be and it wasn't good enough depth. Um, last year injuries hurt our depth, you know, some other things, but, but really injuries hurt that depth and, now you're seeing a situation where, um, you know, we bring guys off the bench that, you know, could start. I mean, could start. I mean, Vince Williams didn't start the first couple of games because Keyshawn had played so well, and, and now we all see what Vince is doing. You know, to have one of those two coming off the bench is a huge luxury. Um, you know, other teams need to prepare as if that's a six starter. And then you got a guy, guy like Trey Clark, who you know, has played tremendous basketball and, and taken a huge leap forward. Again, I put him up against any backup point guard and not only backup point guard, but a starting point guard that's now tired because ACE has guarded him full court. And it's like, you know, th- those, things in Hassan Ward, like you, you can't tell me that as a sophomore, most teams in the country wouldn't want a guy like that. So I could go on and on about those guys. And, and you look at the stat sheet um, Jameer Watkins, I don't know what he what he ended up with last night. I can tell you right here, but against JMU, you know, he ends, ends up with nine points, um, had 15. And then Mikhail Brown-Jones has two last night, but he's had a double-figure game. So I think that we have probably 11 guys on our roster, and I don't want to leave anyone out, but probably 11 guys on our roster that are capable of getting double figures every night. Well, as an opponent, how do you prepare for that? our scouting reports typically have eight or nine guys on it. Now we're, we're throwing out 10 or 11 and, you know, two or three of those guys are not on your scouting report and could, could get double figures, you know, any night. Jameer definitely can. He has Mikhail has Josh Banks just hasn't broken out yet, but he will, you know, Trey obviously can Keyshawn Hassan. That's our, our bench last night. Um, And all those guys are capable of getting into double figures and if not double figures impacting the game in positive ways, uh, other than just scoring, you know, Trey with the steals, Hassan with blocks, and and the defensive presence, and uh, so you know that just kind of has has come true. Um, I guess more than anything, I've learned. I guess I'd say
0: well, one of the things that are. Uh coach talked about a little bit was something that he had to do where he had to tell the players that they couldn't go back for the holidays. And he said that was, that was very hard. Um, it was a hard moment for him. How do you think the players have reacted to that news so far and um, you know, how, how they handled it since then?
2: Yeah, they they've handled it as about as well as you could. Um, again, it's a tough situation for everyone. It, it's not something that we want to do, obviously. and And to be honest with you, There's 14 coaches in our league coach was the last one standing to, to the point of into September, October, and even into November calling the league and begging and pleading. And we tried every angle. We, we, we literally tried everything we could to not play a game on December 30th because we knew if that game had to take place on the 30th, just with testing and quarantine and how long you have to stay out. If you go home, we wouldn't be able to play the game and, and, we tried. We, we tried to change that game multiple times. Um, and and literally, he was the last one standing until kind of the doctors came in and said, Coach, it's just not, not going to happen. So um, we stress family, as you can see here. Uh, and, and it's super important to all of us. And um, our guys were disappointed, rightly so disappointed. You know, it's been a long year. It's been a tough year. Most of them have been here since June 5th with a small break in, in August and some of them didn't even go home then um, due to COVID concerns. And you on, add on top of that social uh, unrest and, and injustices that they see and things that they're dealing with. And it's, it's hard. It's, it's really difficult. Um, you know, that the, it's the right decision. It's the right decision for their health. It's the right decision for us to continue to play, which is what they want to do and what they love to do. And, At the same time, it's tough, and and, um, it's not not something that we ever want to do again. That's for sure.
0: I got one more question for you. Then we'll let you go here. There's so many questions up in the air on conference play and how the NCAA tournament will be played. How confident are you that the NCAA can get the tournament done in March? And do you see it? You know, how do you see it being played out in general?
2: I'm, I'm confident that they need it to happen, so that they'll find a way to make it happen. Um everyone can point to the NBA and say, oh, I'll just bubble. Well, start looking at the finances and the hundreds of millions of dollars they spent to put that bubble together. It's probably not the same for the NCAA. Um, But honestly, whatever way they want to do it, they want to bubble it. They want to play it on home neutral sites. They want to play it on campus. They want to play it, um, you know, South Dakota, Alaska, wherever they want to play it. Uh, I just want to be in it. I think these kids... Have worked so hard in our program um, to be a part of it and to get back there and to put VSU basketball where it belongs in the NCAA tournament. And um, so, whatever it is, we'll be ready. And and uh, that that night, that selection Sunday night, is the craziest night of my year. It's you're trying to set up plane and travel parties and hotels and food and who are we playing again and what time and there's so many questions being thrown at you, but it's the uh, most enjoyable, enjoyable night of my life to um, f- for the basketball season life, I would say um, it's, it's just uh, it's just a pleasure to, to be a part of it. So honestly, whatever they want to do um, I think they're smart people and Dan Gavitt in, in the NCAA and all the way down to the commissioner's office here at the a 10, they're, they're smart people involved. And um, I'm sure that they have, not just a plan B, but a plan C, D and E right now. And, and um, hopefully hopefully, we can get to there, you know, with league play coming up, each league kind of, again, has their own rules and stipulations. And now you're dealing with just one set of rules, which I think will help um, get these games off the ground. Again, stoppages and uh, the idea of going back down to seven day quarantine. And I don't know all, the, all the, the kind of guidelines with that, but that's gonna certainly help. Um, you don't lose 14 days, maybe just seven, but um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful, certainly hopeful and uh, grateful that, that we get a chance to, to tip it up here at the end of the month against a league opponent and um, try to keep our head down and, and pop up in March and just see what they tell us where, where we have to go. And, and uh, like I said, I just, just want to be a part of it with this group. Cause, cause it really is, I know it's cliche, but it really is fun. Um, these, these guys are a lot of fun and, and they make it enjoyable to, to be here every single day.
0: Well, I know Noah, Noah and I are certainly looking forward to the rest of the season and how we'll play out. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us here on the Ram Report podcast. Jimmy Martelli, uh, VCU Basketball Director of Operations. Um, good luck to you in the rest of the season. Wish you the best and happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you again. Appreciate
2: you guys. Thanks for all you guys do and uh, happy holidays to you guys and Ram Nation. I uh, we'll look forward to seeing you right around the new year and happy new year to everybody as well.
1: Special thanks to Jimmy Martelli for sitting down for a little bit and talking to Ben and I about everything VCU basketball through that first nine game stretch. You know, one thing he talked about, Ben, was VCU played nine games. He said, I can't really name that many other schools in the country that have played nine games heading into league play.
0: Yeah, it's incredible that VCU has been able to play nine games to this point without any uh, COVID difficulties. It's really a blessing for this team. Uh, and it, it, you know, it makes it interesting to see how other teams react based on experience in their schedule. They might be teams that historically are better, historically are worse, but they don't have as much experience in the 2020 season as VCU does. So nine games early on has really helped out a young team, and it's been the best possible scenario so far for Coach Rhodes.
1: Yeah, nine games down, and now we're heading into Atlantic 10 play, which kicks off this week against St. Joseph's. That's a noon tip. On December 30th in Ben St. Joseph's, a team that comes into the game 0-5. This is a team that's played three top 25 schools, including Tennessee, Kansas, and Villanova. And Coach Jay Wright. So, I mean, St. Joseph's on paper, 0-5, not great, but they've played quality competition.
0: Not just all ranked, Noah. Those teams are all in the top 10 when St. Joe's played them. Kansas, number six. Villanova, number seven. Tennessee, Number eight, I mean, man, they have had it rough in the, in the beginning parts of their schedule. It, it, it has been difficult for St. Joe's. You cannot you cannot blame them for starting off 0-5. I mean, they also played Auburn at one point. It uh, lost to them in overtime, uh, 96-91. It, it's been extremely rough for St. Joe's. It doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad team. I think this is a team that um, shows a lot more than what their 0-5 record is. Five games into the season against incredibly tough teams. Uh, it's something that VCU can't afford to overlook, in my opinion, especially um, you know, with how their the last game went for VCU against JMU. This is a kind of like another JMU game here. You don't want to overlook your opponent no matter what their record is, no matter uh, who they are, because they have some they have some ballers on this team, Noah. They have some players, and Ryan Daly is one of them leading the team with 17.2 points per game. He's also the leading rebounder with over six per game. He is a guy who, who can go off at any second. The transfer from Delaware, he is a force, a force on this St. Joseph Hawks team.
1: Yeah, Ryan Daly led the team last year for St. Joseph. He's back doing the same thing again. Taylor Funk also averaging 15 points a game, shooting almost 40% clip from three. A dangerous three-point shooter there. But, Ben, one thing to know about St. Joseph's opponents are averaging 92 points a game against St. Josephs VCU, they scored over 90. I think once, maybe twice this season already. But I mean, that they're playing top ten teams in the country. So that, that stat might get a little skewed. At, in this VC St. Joe's game, do I expect VC to score ninety? No. Do I expect him to score eighty? Maybe. But it's probably more realistic that VC will put up seventy. And the question is, is what the defense can hold this St. Joseph's team too, because St. Joseph's not only are they hungry to get league play started, they're trying to get on the winning cup. And so they're going to just, it's even going to taste even sweeter for them once they start getting in the role that it's going to be conference wins. So these just count that much more than just a non-conference win. You know, it's
0: a, it's a great point that you bring up here. I think VCU cannot get distracted with those type of numbers. You see a big number like 92 points per game against St. Josephs, and that makes you want to, you know, go out on offense and shoot as many threes as you can and just run up the score. But I think for this game, VCU is really going to have to focus on their defense, especially like you, like you said, Daly and Funk averaging. Uh, 17 and 15 points per game, respectively. Those are guys who can explode at any second. The defense is what is going to have to carry VCU throughout this game. The offense will come later. Teams are, teams are scoring a lot of points against this St. Joseph's team. It's not something they need to worry about at the moment. It's the defense stopping their scores um, from scoring the ball throughout the whole game. One stat that's really interesting about uh, St. Joseph's shooting Daily, he's only averaging 17% from beyond the arc. In fact, Funk is their best three-point sh- uh, shooter on the whole team. He's averaging 39%. But last game against Tennessee, this Hawks team only shot 20% from three. So limiting points in the paint is going to be huge for VCU. Points in the paint and guys off the bench, I think, are the biggest two. Defense is going to be what carries VCU in this game. The offense will come later. Defense is their number one focus in their first A-10 game of the year.
1: Well, defense has been something VCU has hung their hat on for a while. And with Havoc and Coach Shaka Smart, it's been carried on through Wade. And now with Coach Rhodes and VCU this year, they're a team that through the first nine games, they're leading the country in many categories. They're number 27th overall in turnovers forced. They were second in blocks in the country with 49. Corey Douglas had five last game against James Madison. And they're third in steals with 99. That's with three in the top 25, I believe, last time I checked. That was all three point guards in the top 25 in steals. They're also tied 14th in block shots per game. So,
0: Ben, defense, that's got the job done already. It's so it's so cool looking at these stats, not because they're lined up with some of the best teams in the nation, but because last year it wasn't these stats that we were looking at. Last year, we were looking at scoring defense or, you know, limiting three point shot attempts. This year, it's it's these, you know, it's these more physical stats that we're seeing total steals, just ripping the ball out of guys hands blocks, Hassan Ward, Corey Douglas, just being so physical down low. I think that's a big testament of how this VCU has, team has changed and, and matured. And I'm not saying these stats are, are any better than, you know, those other stats from last year. If they could be top 10 in all those stats, that would obviously be ideal. But looking but looking at these ones, they're just so meaningful in what this team has been able to accomplish and you, you just see the progress on the court. You, you see it in front of you. You see Hassan Ward, you know, getting those blocks in the game. You see Bones Highland, you know, being in the lane, uh, catching a pass out of midair to turn the ball over. It, it's been really incredible to watch throughout these first nine games.
1: Yeah, against James Madison, Corey Douglas only scored two points against the Dukes, but he made his presence known on the defensive end with seven total boards and five blocks. So... If I was out there driving in the paint, I'm trying to stay away from number 13 because that might not go too well for me.
0: And Corey Douglas is a perfect example of a senior who knows his role on this team. Only two points. He doesn't need to be the offensive presence, right? He's just the guy who will stand there and get the blocks. You know, he will make sure that guys don't score on him and he'll pass the ball out to guys who do the scoring for VCU. That's a huge difference from this year and last year. Like we're, we've talked about almost every week now, what what are the major differences? Why is this team so much better on offense? Last year, you know, it might've been problems with seniors. It might've been problems with maturity. We, we don't really know, but this year, those problems are, are figured out and guys understand their roles on this team, especially in the starting lineup.
1: Yeah, the one big thing I think that VCU has that's different than last year is a true point guard. Some people don't like having a point guard that, on a given night, the ace had the first two games. He only scored three points, I think, three or five points. Against JMU, eight points, but 10 assists. Think about that. 10 assists. VCU had a total of 19 assists. He had over half of the assist numbers ace baldwin not only is he getting the job done offensively because you the kids are walking bucket. he can find them he can get to the basket but that's not a thing he's looking for first he's trying to set everyone else up first and then if the shot is open i mean he's gonna take it but the first thing he's doing he's looking for bone Thailand, he's looking for Keyshawn curry he's looking inside to the big men of levi and corey and hassan but i mean that's probably the biggest difference is the shooting is it's been there it, it, got bones he can shoot curry he's back again he can shoot the lights out of the ball i mean the paint presence kind of gone down after marcus Silva left but levi stockard's kind of asserting himself there now getting to the basket getting to the rim so i mean ace Baldwin, i think is the biggest difference maker from a year ago and the thing that vcu has seen an impact from literally day one
0: i don't want to make nba comparisons but i mean he's like you know freshman year chris paul or or something you know just dishing out the ball so perfectly it's not about the points he scores every game it's about the offense he creates like you noted and he does so and he just does that so well making opportunities for everybody from bones to hassan ward vcu absolutely so lucky to have him um and i think the a10 is about to see uh what this vcu team is really about and not ranked ninth in, in the preseason poll i think um teams are going to realize that was a massive mistake
1: yeah, I make mean, ninth in the preseason pool. Only one player is named to a preseason team. That was Bone Thailand being named to third team, all A 10. So I think at the end of the year, we're going to see a couple of VCU names on the all defensive team as well as on the all rookie team. I think a couple of these guys, not just one, Ben. I mean, Jameer Watkins was named A 10 rookie of the week uh, last week. I think Ace finds his way onto that rookie of the week this coming week when that gets announced. And I think that Ace Baldwin definitely might be named rookie of the year. He's definitely playing probably the best of any. I haven't really paid attention to many other a 10 freshmen so far. We will when we get to league play, but I think it's going to be hard to tell a guy who's averaging almost seven or almost six assists a game that, nah, you're not good enough to be in the first team, all rookie team. You're not good enough to be the rookie of the year. You want to tell Ace Baldwin that next year is going to be even scarier if you tell him he's not the best, the best freshman in the, in the league.
0: You know, I almost think that completely disregarding the a10 for a second the lack of national recognition that Ace baldwin has not received yet is almost a little bit disrespectful considering the categories that he's involved in and the numbers that he's been putting up uh he's competing with some of the best freshmen in the nation like you said earlier he's um leading freshmen in assists this season, uh, you know, it starts to be a point where you need to get recognition for a guy like this. And uh, it's going to start with A-10 play th- this first year, but um, VCU has an extremely bright future with freshmen, with, with their current freshmen and guys coming in. But uh, the freshmen right now are so exciting to watch.
1: Yeah, the freshmen this year are exciting to watch. All four freshmen on this VCU team playing in almost every single game. I mean, that's something that really, if you could talk about any other team, you might get a couple playing, but you're not, you don't have guys playing crucial minutes. You don't have one starting at the point guard in the Atlantic 10. Cause the Atlantic 10 is kind of that, I would say, you classify it in a group of five conference. It's not a big major. It's not a power five. It's, it's kind of falls in the middle there with like the WCC, even though I don't consider Gonzaga a uh, mid-major at all. I think they're definitely oh, like yeah. a power five level oh, yeah. type team, but they play today. Actually we record this on Saturday. They play today against UVA. That's a good game. They're going to watch later.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't think the A10. I don't consider the A10 a um a Power Five or I, I consider an upper mid major. You know, I wish there were something. I, you know, to I like wouldn't power say. Five I think, think it's mid-major.
1: like a, yeah, I think it's like that group of five that you have in football, where it's like the American, and you have like right. It's not definitely not like a like a it, F- FCS school like the yeah. CAA or something in like that. It's definitely in that middle ground. It's not 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 going to it just not deserve to be in the Power Five, but it's also not deserved to be in the classified as a mid major with with all those little schools. So I think. Definitely the A10 working its way up. I think last year I saw it was ranked like seventh best conference in the country or
0: sixth or top. I would love to see an American A ten tournament in a coming year soon. I would love we were supposed to
1: see the Mountain West A10 challenges here. That got canceled. VC was supposed to play UNLV, but that hey, what can you do? But if you have you noticed something, we're a little off topic here, but the A ten SEC challenge that is kind of just spurred out of non-conference play. A is just running through the SEC.
0: Well, you know, uh, it, it's not surprising to me. I wish the LSU game would happen with VCU. I, I really – but, I mean, um, you know, football, I mean, SEC is more known for football. I'm not saying they have bad basketball teams, but, I mean, football is what you think of uh, with SEC, right? Uh, that, that's no, what,
1: for sure. You think you – th- when you say SEC, you think Alabama. You think Nick yeah, Saban. You, exactly. you literally think of Nick Saban. You think yeah. of – I would say Gus Malzahn, but – he's gone but you know what i mean you think of auburn alabama you think of big schools you don't well, think
0: of for the record you know i, I don't want to you know put any bad omens on this team but i think that vcu lsu uh, game um would have been very close and i think uh the team from richmond would have would have had the favor in that one but i guess we will unfortunately never know i think i think that contract will eventually be played out next year though unless uh lsu would have to buy out uh, the contract or will Wade and LSU would have to buy out that contract from VC to get out of it. And I doubt they're willing to do that. So I assume that the matchup will be posted for the next year's basketball schedule.
1: Yeah. I do know that coach Rhodes and Jimmy Martelli touched on that in the interview you guys just listened to, but he talked about how VC was trying to work with LSU. They were trying to schedule. They were, they were working to be flexible. They said, how about the 23rd? How about the 26th? And it just didn't work out. So, I mean, I'm not gonna say LSU is dodging VCU, but I'm gonna say LSU is dodging VCU. And if it gets played next year, it gets played. If they buy it out, then that just confirms that
0: we'll know our answer. LSU
1: that. didn't want to. <laughs> I mean, but you know, it is what it is. Coming up next week on the Ram Report, we'll talk about St. Joseph's game. We'll talk about Davidson and much more. We'll have a special guest that'll be announced later in the week. For Ben Malikoff, I'm Noah Fleishman. See you guys back here next week.